Okay, let's keep going. Last week, we met this Messiah. His name was Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. Jesus was born uniquely, a descendant of King David and born of the Spirit. His mother Mary's assent to her yes to God in many ways mirrored the questions Eve faced, the yes Eve gave to Satan. But Mary chose God, and through her body, Jesus entered the world as a tiny baby. Jesus grew up and always did what was good, right, and perfect. He was baptized by his cousin John, and at his baptism, a voice from heaven, the voice of God, said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was tempted by Satan, just like Adam and Eve had been, but he resisted. Even in hard circumstances, his love and devotion to God never faltered. He always believed God, trusted God, and obeyed God. Finally, he was ready to invite others into that same kind of relationship with God. Act 4, Scene 6, Kingdom Message. Jesus continued to teach people, The kingdom of God has come. Turn from your sins and turn to God. One day, he climbed up a hill with a group of his closest followers. They sat down together, and Jesus began to teach them about God's kingdom. He said, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle and the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers. In my kingdom, even when you are hated, mocked, and excluded, you are blessed. In my kingdom, things are not as they seem. He went on to teach about God's laws that were given to Moses. Don't think I came to get rid of the laws of Moses and the writings of the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. God's laws are alive and will last forever. Live by them and show others the way. That's how you'll find honor in the kingdom. The laws and commands tell you not to murder, but I say, if you hate someone or insult them, you are just as guilty as a murderer. The laws also tell you never to have sex with someone else's spouse, but I say, anyone who has even looked at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. He taught them, if someone steals your shirt from you, offer them your coat too. Live generously, love your enemies, Anyone can love their friends, but you are to love the unlovable. You must live differently, doing what is good, right, and perfect, just like God your Father. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. He had real power and authority, unlike anything they had ever seen, and he was definitely nothing like the religious leaders they knew. So now it's time for some more dialogue. The first question is this. What stands out to you from Jesus' teachings? What do Jesus' teachings tell us about who he is as a person? Sense of his empathy and compassion. 
an interesting paradox uh, on the one hand a very high bar and on the other hand a compassion it's like this is the first time in scripture where persecution is commended mm. being, being persecuted it's about this origins mm. like those moments of us feel like that they were like the, I mean especially the like Yeah, that's interesting that there's this kind of sort of like towering standards for oneself and yet this sort of like embrace of the other, um, which is often the opposite of how we operate with lots of grace for ourselves and struggle giving grace to the others, at least for me. Uh, Jesus's consistent message was the kingdom of God has come. Turn from your sins and turn to God. Does that align with how you would summarize Jesus's teaching? And if not, tell us a little bit about what your summary would be. I realized I forgot to call on my youth. Youth, <laughs> any thoughts on, does this align with how you would summarize Jesus's teaching? The kingdom of God has come, or would you have picked something else as like the core message of Jesus? I would probably say like, love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. But Mm. Yeah. yeah that's great Lila the both the core sort of ethic of love God and love your neighbor but then also the turning that's required in that others does anyone want to challenge this as a summary of Jesus' teaching or feel like anything's missing from it Jesus is bringing like a new set of concepts that haven't been <coughs> Jesus says, blessed are the poor, the grieved, the gentle, the hungry, the needy, the pure in heart, and the persecuted. For whom is this good news? Is it good news for you?
I really appreciate for even hearing a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount through the Bible having yeah. experience and they translate it how good is the life mm. of the poor, the weak, the gentle. And I think like that has made me meditate on it differently. Um, because you wouldn't necessarily say like the poor have a good life <laughs> and are like comfortable with that. Mm. Do you want to say more? Um, for most people, this would feel like very good news. But for the people who are at the top or who are giving the rules or um, who are doing the persecuting, this would feel like you now have to hold very tightly onto the power you have and like either double down or change. And doubling down feels like it's a lot easier if you want to stay in power. Yeah, this question of for whom is it good news actually was something I was reflecting on after uh, Dash and I and John and Kristen had dinner with a couple who are part of an intentional community called the Bruderhof. It's a very lovely community, but one of the, it's a, you make a lifelong commitment and one of the um, things that you do when you enter is you give all of your resources to the Bruderhof and we were just talking about how if you don't have a lot that's very wonderful because you get to be a part of something but even for me and not exactly you know the wealthy I'm like you give everything you give all your money to this community <laughs> like it was it didn't feel like good news and it, it made me think about the ways in which yeah the kingdom of God is costly, especially for those who have the most power, but for all of us who like to have some control over our, our lives. Um, why is it important that Jesus said, I have come not to abolish the laws of Moses and the writing of the prophets, but to fulfill them? Or do you think that's important? And if so, why? I would think it sets him apart from prior prophets. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. And the only other thing that comes to mind for me is uh, continuity, that it's not something that's kind of, um, I don't know, at odds with or sort of different than, there's a, there's a way in which Jesus is affirming the, the same God that we've encountered throughout the story rather than saying like he's offering something. As a couple of people said, it's it's intensified and it takes on a different character and yet there's an underlying continuity that's important. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like I know sometimes it feels like there's tension between like the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, but I think this confirms that like 
all of the law that God gave and even everything he did in the Old Testament shows something about his character that is still valuable and still true, even as Jesus comes to open it up even more and help us to understand it more. Like, you know, a lot of the laws that talk about how they treated the stranger and, like, how to care for mm. them in the community and that kind of stuff. Like, that wasn't something new that came with Jesus. That was how God had told Israel to treat its neighbors even way back in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think I've said this in the previous year, but just that covenants are contracts. You, you can't just get out of a contract. It has to be met. Like, there's very rare cases where you can just, like, legally get out of something. It's a, yeah, I don't know. I just think of it as, like, a binding thing. And so Jesus comes to fill those, comes to fill that contract. He's not getting rid of it. He's not erasing it. He's not throwing it out. He needs to, it needs to be met. And if we're not going to sacrifice animals, something has to happen. Something has to be done. Yeah, and in some sense, a covenant's even deeper than a contract because it's like your life is on it versus a contract. Contracts are usually built with like these like loopholes, you know, if you're like buying a house, it's like, and you can get out this way and this way and that way. And if there's a hole in the ceiling and like, you know, and instead it's like, no, this kind of all in dimension. Yeah. Okay. Act four, scene seven, parables of the kingdom. Jesus continued to teach about the kingdom of God. He used short stories that had deep meanings called parables. He told dozens of stories like this to his listeners. He said, the kingdom is like a hidden treasure buried in a field worth diligently searching for, like yeast spread in a large ball of dough. Just a little will turn flour and water into bread. Like a precious pearl worth selling all your belongings to have, like a great feast where the poor and the outcast all get invited, watch out that you're not too busy to miss it, on and on. People were struck by Jesus' teaching and wisdom. They understood some of these pictures. Others remained a mystery to them. Once, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, sympathetic to Jesus, came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know you were sent by God to teach us. Your miracles have proven to us that God is with you. Jesus replied, you're right, but unless someone is born a second time, they will never understand God's kingdom. What do you mean? Nicodemus questioned. How can someone who has fully grown climb back inside their mother to be born a second time? Jesus answered him, the truth is no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they have been born a second time by God's spirit. Humans can only give human life, but God's spirit gives new life in the kingdom. How can this happen? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, but you do not understand this simple truth. If you won't believe me when I teach you about everyday things, how will you believe me when I tell you about God's kingdom? What I am telling you is true. God showed his great love for people by sending me, his only son, to the world. Anyone who believes in me and lives in my ways will find life that is complete and eternal. He sent me here to save people, not to judge them. Those who want to live in sin and darkness will reject me, bring God's just judgment on themselves. Those who want to live in light will trust me and live forever. Elsewhere, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when is this kingdom you are teaching about going to come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something you can predict. People will not say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. A young man came up to Jesus and asked, what good things must I do to get into the kingdom? Jesus replied, God is the only one who is good. Follow his commandments. The man said, I have obeyed his commands. What else must I do? Looking at the man, Jesus loved him and said, go, 
Sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, then come follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sad because he didn't want to give up his great wealth and possessions. Jesus told his disciples, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Then how can anyone enter the kingdom? Asked his disciples. He replied, if you try on your own, you won't make it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into a close relationship with the Father except through me. If you know me, you know my Father too. From now on, you do know him and have seen him in me. The entrance to the kingdom of God is narrow. Only a few will find it. But the road that leads to destruction is very wide, and many will choose that way, living only for themselves. So now we're going to have some more dialogue. Um, why, the first question, uh, why do you think Jesus spoke in parables? And how do parables stretch uh, or resonate with you? Mm. 
itself from the viewing audience. You know, and so some people, I mean, in, in the Gospels, it'll say that Jesus gave spoken parables to like deceive some and to reveal to others, you know, to mm-hmm. and often like to reveal to children mm-hmm. the truth to children. They can like hear the parables more easily, but adults like who are trying to impress it through their like giving them five minutes in the world really struggle with it. Um, so yeah, it just reveals hearts in a really powerful way. Mm. I think one thing I am I'm struck by and struggle with with parables is there's a they're like very they feel very inefficient and yeah it's just with such a short life I would think Jesus would be like I've got a lot of points to make and I need to make them quickly so let's like kind of get a move on here and instead he's like let's just do a story some people will get it most people won't doesn't really matter it's like it makes me think a lot of my interactions with Arlo, my son, because he's very pokey. And then, so it's like every day a battle for us is I'm like, Arlo, we have to hurry. We're not going anywhere, but I just like, he's going so slow that I feel like we have to hurry. And I wonder if I was a disciple, if I would feel that way about Jesus of like, why are we not just like moving to the the point here? Um, I don't know if others feel like that, but. Okay. Jesus described joining God's kingdom in many ways, such as it's like a hidden treasure, search for it. It's like a priceless pearl, sell everything. It's like a banquet, come and party. He told Nicodemus to be born again. He told the rich ruler to sell everything. He told others to stay put. What strikes you from this list? As Kayla mentioned, there's a lot of different things here. Um, So what do you is striking today, this year, as we go through this story, which... Uh, which parable and as a related but broader question based on the entire story thus far including the previous four weeks what do you think the kingdom of God is how would you describe it to someone
Mm. And so, I, yeah, I think that can be a little bit of a hard dynamic to mm. anyone else want to share or your thoughts on what the kingdom of God is is the kingdom of God something that we're still waiting for mm. that we as Christians engage with now what do you think I have no clue <laughs> what do others think it's a great question is the kingdom of God something we're waiting for or something that we Basically, you're saying we're waiting for something that we have and, and yet is not fully manifest, but we as Christians have. Is that your question? Yeah. In both. Mm. And then it's like, um, I think the, the, there's a movement towards redeeming this world towards the end of getting to the kingdom of God, which in some way exists in the hearts of everyone mm. that believes in him and working towards that end, but also is something that will not be completely fulfilled until Jesus comes. Mm. So it's like this tension between where we are in this moment Mm. Also, still also very finished in a way that is beyond my comprehension of time. Mm. Mm. So, so that fire 
is a measure for him is at a new task to extend to the garden. Mm. And so maybe there there was intention that the earth was not a garden. Mm. Um, but God had done done hard work. Hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about the ways that Jesus offers to enter the kingdom of God? And in particular, the the more controversial thing here, I think, is how do you feel about Jesus's own centrality that Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom except through me I'm going to go ahead and ask my my final question as well so that we have time to get through the the final scene here but as well how do you feel about Jesus at this point in the story or is he yeah are you struggling with him as a character is he compelling to you um, people can respond to any of these questions Jared do you want to share? <laughs> kind of giving me a like, maybe you have something to say. Yeah, Anthony, go ahead. Mm-hmm. How do I feel about the way Jesus offers to enter the kingdom of God? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I've been struck by today is it feels like we're all kind of struggling to think through all of this stuff. Mm. I think that that, to me, really highlights just like, how much mystery there is involved mm. in faith and I think it even in Jesus' descriptions of the kingdom and how it all kind of operates and what it is and who goes and how you get there. Like mm. All those things just feel shrouded in mm. mystery. And, um, you know, even this idea of, like, this figure describing this thing you can't quite put his finger on and saying, it's just like a, it's like a tough thing to think through and we as Christians are used to thinking in terms of that, but like at this time, it's like hmm. weird, everything feels really weird to me about what's going on in this portion of, of scripture. And I think, I think that's intentional because I think there's an element of surrender hmm. uh, necessary to follow Jesus, to believe in what he's saying about what he's up to, um, what the end game is um, for us, but I think I think in some ways, in the midst of that mystery, there's some comfort in this idea that like all that we've been learning thus far throughout Scripture is challenging and, and things to wrestle with, and it kind of all settles down in, in like the person of mm. the calm presence of uh, yeah a, a, a very real Mm. representation of, of true humanity and what mm. we're all kind of the, the real intent was mm. in the whole story. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's I think it's great. In terms of all of this feels very mysterious and, mm. and in some way beautiful. Mm. I think it's interesting just how it's both almost inclusive and exclusive. 
exclusive mm. way. It's, you know, it's only exclusively through Christ that he starts to find God. Mm. Inclusive, not anybody can believe mm. go through him. So it's kind of this duality that's challenging. Mm. Like you said, like how to, to believe both. Like he's he is he's almost like a terrorist like to you to 
mm. like bombarding it saying you you have to change like you can't keep living the way you're. Mm. and that's terrifying um mm. and then like to the compromisers he's like give to caesar what belongs to caesar give to god what belongs to god so even then you're like oh, i have to do like these two things now and mm. um the separatists like you have to love your neighbor you have to love your love your love your enemies like more than just your friends and you can't just live in isolation you can't just be alone starting your own thing you have to be together. Mm. Um, yeah i don't know it's it's very jarring John? Well, there's, well, there's a lot about Jesus that I don't fully understand, and then a lot about God that I don't fully understand. Um, I, I noticed that I've always had a really deep sense of brokenness in the world. Hmm.
I'm going to move to our final um, aspect of the story, and then we'll have time for just one or two final questions. Act 4, Scene 8, One Final Meal. Jesus and his disciples traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Everywhere he went, he had compassion on people and met their needs. The Pharisees and other Jewish leaders were becoming increasingly upset with Jesus and his claims. He continued to tell people that he could forgive them. This enraged the Jewish leaders. They saw this as the ultimate disrespect to God. They looked for ways to trap Jesus into saying something they could arrest him for, but he was too wise for them. Many of his stories pointed out the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. Jesus said, when the Pharisees and teachers share with you God's commands, listen to them, but don't follow their example. They don't live out what they teach. The high priest met with these leaders to discuss capturing Jesus and putting him to death. We can't arrest him during Passover or it will create a riot. Jesus and his 12 disciples met together in a home to celebrate a meal called Passover. During the meal, Jesus picked up bread, thanked God for it, and broke it into pieces. Giving it to his disciples, he said, take this and eat. It's my body given for you. Then Jesus picked up a cup of wine and thanked God for it. He gave them the cup and said, all of you, drink this. It is my blood given for you, a new covenant between God and people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Remember me when you continue to eat and drink these things together. Jesus told them, when you see what happens tonight, you will abandon me. It is part of God's plan that I will be betrayed and die. But don't fear, I will rise from the dead. He knew that his disciple Judas would betray him bringing soldiers to capture him later that night when no one was around. After the meal, when it was dark, he went to pray. Filled with pain and sorrow, he pleaded with God, Father, if there is another way besides my death, please let that happen, but I will do whatever you ask. Act 4, Scene 9, Death and Resurrection. Just as he had finished praying, Judas showed up with an armed mob. He greeted Jesus with a kiss, a sign to show the guards which one they should arrest. Jesus said to them, am I a dangerous criminal that you need weapons to capture me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple where I've been teaching every day? No, this is part of God's plans, just as the prophets predicted long ago. When the guards arrested Jesus and dragged him away, the disciples ran and hid. The guards beat Jesus, brought him before the Jewish leaders for questioning. They asked, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Jesus answered, I am, and you will see me seated next to God in power coming back on the clouds of heaven. These were the symbols of his authority and power. When Jesus said this, the high priest tore his clothes in horror and said, any man who claims to be God must be put to death. They struck Jesus on the face and spit on him. Jesus was brought to the Roman governor, Pilate, since Jews could not execute anyone without official approval. The Jewish leaders stirred up the crowds and pressured Pilate to have Jesus put to death. They shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate feared a riot would break out, so he handed Jesus over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Jesus was brutally beaten and whipped by the soldiers. They put a crown of sharp thorns on his head and a purple robe around his shoulders. Hail the king of the Jews, they laughed. All night, the Roman soldiers continued to beat Jesus and mock him. When morning came, they led Jesus to a place called Skull Hill. Like a criminal, Jesus was nailed to a heavy wooden cross between two thieves. Crucifixion was the most cruel and humiliating way to die. Hanging there, he cried out, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. At noon, darkness filled the skies, blocking out the sun for three hours. Suddenly, the thick curtain hanging in the temple tore down the middle from the top to the bottom, and at that moment, Jesus shouted, 
Father, I give you my life. It is finished. Then Jesus breathed his last breath and died. The soldiers broke the legs of the criminals crucified next to Jesus to speed their death. When they found that Jesus was already dead, they didn't break his leg. To be sure, one of the soldiers stabbed him in the side with a spear. Blood and water poured out, a phenomenon that only happens after death. Late Friday afternoon, Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, wrapped in long strips of cloth and buried in a rich man's tomb. A large stone was rolled over the entrance to the tomb, and Roman guards were posted there to make sure nothing happened to his body. There, Jesus' body lay, dead and lifeless. Early on Sunday morning, some of the women who followed Jesus went to prepare his body for burial to honor him in his death. When they arrived at the tomb, they saw the stone rolled away and the soldiers were gone. Suddenly, two angels appeared. They said, why are you surprised? You are looking for Jesus, but he is not here. He has been raised from the dead. The women were excited but afraid and hurried to tell the disciple the amazing news. Some of the disciples ran back to the tomb and looked inside for themselves. Jesus was not there. Jesus appeared to his disciples many times over the next 40 days. They touched him, ate with him, and saw him perform miracles again. Jesus reminded them of his teaching about the kingdom and opened their minds to understand how the whole story of the world had led up to him. In total, over 500 people saw Jesus alive. And now it's time for our final dialogue. Uh, In the story, Jesus was condemned to die by three groups, the religious leaders, the political leaders, and the crowd. Does anyone just have time for like one person to share on this question, one or two? What was significant about this? Why does Jesus submit to being killed? And why does God the Father allow it? Seems like that's the only option. Walked on the water. And joined him, Peter. I like that, Anthony. Kissy, what were you going to say? Fulfilling the covenant. Um, mm. What sacrifice, like, in order for the, the people of God to, to live? Like, what had to be shed? Mm. And then continue with the bloodshed of the 
Peter. at all do you think the crucifixion and resurrection changed the relationship between the father and the son I think, yeah, I think it's true that a significant part of the um, the dinner is that Jesus washes feet and is an uh, example of downward mobility that's even more manifest in the cross. Um, Vicki, your thought? Uh, but I think what I was just trying to say is there's the sense that, yes, Jesus loves me. He died for me. I'm like, mm. Mm. You know, it cost him something to die for all of us. Mm. Not like, you know, eight billion people who live on the planet right now, but the, the, the span of humanity, the billions and billions and billions of people, died for all of our sin and carried that weight. Mm. Because his dad said so. <laughs> it just feels heavy. But I don't know that it could really change the relationship because, I mean, we're together. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't know either. Um, Theologically, I don't, I don't know if it did, but I think this year I was struck by the thinking about the story and then thinking about uh, Abraham and Isaac and just wondering what the interaction was like for Abraham and Isaac after Abraham almost killed Isaac. And I think this is the one of the hardest moments in the story in terms of 
like just the mutual grief is astounding. And yet there's a part of me that uh, is, is curious. You know, we know in scripture it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising his shame, suggesting that there was a joy uh, that was before him, that was, you know, on the other side of this. I think we often think about that in terms of um, the joy of redeeming humanity, sort of centering ourselves as his joy, which I think is probably partially true, but I also wonder if there was some sort of new joy, deeper joy in the relationship between the Father and the Son as Jesus, yeah, did this thing. Mm-hmm. And for these three days, they were not. And what that must have been. Yeah. I think that is a good note to to end on. I will close us in prayer and then invite um, our communion liturgist to come forward. God, thank you for the rich dialogue today. Thank you for the way you blessed me through getting to hear um, the reflections shared on who Jesus is, the the mystery that um, surrounds him and that he embodies, and the mystery that surrounds the crucifixion and resurrection. I am struck by Tanya's final point, the cost, uh, the cost to both Jesus and to you, the Father, um, and the ways in which that led to something uh, much greater and a way for us to be reunited with you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.